through 21, and it's titled, at least in my ESV Bible, Prayer for Spiritual Strength. Um, I'm going to read this text and pray and then share a few things and tell you why we're kind of in this text. Just taking a little break from Galatians, just one week. But let me read God's Word, starting in verse 14. The Apostle Paul writes the following, For this reason... I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named, that according to the riches of his glory, he may grant you to be strengthened with power through his spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. That you, being rooted and grounded in love, may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge, that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly Then all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word. And we just ask that you would continually fill us with your spirit, that these words, your words would affect us, that your words would speak to our hearts and they would transform us from the inside out, that, Lord, we would walk away with a greater dependence upon you and your power at work in us to change us and to grow us in our faith, and not only us, but the people that you place around us. And we get to live life together with people like this church, these friends present here, people like our kids, our other family members, other believers that we come into contact with. Lord, that ultimately, Lord, we would be dependent upon you for the growth that we need, that we long for. As we seek to work out our own salvation in the fear of you, as we trust in you and your Spirit's power at work in our life. And so, Lord, accomplish your good purposes in and through us as we gather here this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, in 2003, I didn't live here, but I lived in Chesapeake, Virginia. And about that time, Sarah and I were buying our first home. And we were excited. Uh, The market was very similar to the way it is now where you, you had to put Uh, an offer right away if you wanted it, and you had to probably offer a little bit more than what you thought it was really worth, because if you wanted any chance at getting the house, you guys know how it is, you you had to do this at that time, and so we were able to put a contract on a house, they were able to accept our contract, and we were excited to move into this home. Now, when we were going to move into this home, we also knew that we wanted to do some things to it. We wanted to paint every room, because the person who lived in it before us, painted every room as well in very bright and colors that aren't our colors. 
and uh, we just wanted to paint everything. And we wanted to put new carpets. I think they had pets and things like that. And we had, I think Mia, my oldest daughter at the time, was maybe one turning two, and Charlie was about to be born. So this was a long time ago. And so we were excited to move into this house. And so it came to the day when we had to go and sign papers and they'd hand over the keys and we went down there, we did all of that, they handed us the keys and, and I was going to immediately go to the house and just begin to work on it because we were going to take a few weeks to get this work done so we could move in. And so I got the keys, I went to the house, opened the door and just immediately began ripping out all the carpet. So then I could begin to paint this thing. So as I was ripping out all the carpet, lo and behold, I found rotten wood. And not only was there rotten wood around the fireplace, it was still wet as if this was an active leak going on in the house that somehow made it through the inspection and all that kind of stuff. We didn't see it, whatever it is that may be. And so we, we had a problem. The house was in worse shape than we originally thought. It was also going to take longer than we planned to fix it up for us to live in. And so over the next few months, we began to renovate it and fix the things that needed to be fixed for us to live in. Now, this is, isn't a perfect illustration, but I, I share this with you in, really in a sense to, to kind of get your attention. It's kind of like how our lives are. When the Lord saves us, He transforms us in the sense that He forgives us of all of our sins. His Spirit comes to live in us. He gives us a new heart with new desires, but, but something remains in our lives. That's messy. That needs to be fixed. That needs to be renovated. And that, that something is the flesh. And now this is why we're kind of talking about this passage here. And so we've been in Galatians the last couple of weeks. And we've been talking about not gratifying the desires of the flesh. But putting those desires to death by walking according to the Spirit. Living according to the Spirit. But, but the reality is after we get saved, sin still remains in our lives. It's just going to be there. The power of sin, it's, it's been broken, but it's still present in our lives. And it seeks to affect everything that we say and do. It affects the way you're listening to this message right now. It will affect what you do with this message. It affects the way you talk to your spouse, the way you're going to parent your kids on that first day of school. Sin's just there. It's present. But if you're a believer, the power of it's been broken, but its presence still remains. And what it does is it likes to make a mess of our lives. But yet Christ makes his life in us through his spirit that's at work in us. And so it's changed us and he's changing us from the inside out. And so I use that illustration just, just to say is once we get saved, there's a lot of renovation that still needs to take place. And God's at work doing that. And I know I don't need to share really any more illustrations about that because all you got to do is look at your own life and think about your own sin that still remains, that's showing its ugly head at times. But the reason I also want to be in this text this morning is because when I think about, and I've had conversations about this, when we think about growth and we think about living by the Spirit and walking by the Spirit and putting to death the, the fleshly desires that remain or putting to death the sin that remains. Sometimes I think, I think we can get into trouble because we end up putting a, an emphasis or a major emphasis on what we're called to do 
and we either assume or we ignore really the primary way in which we grow. And by that, I'm, what we're going to learn from this text is I would say the primary way by which we grow is the Spirit at work in us and God working through us, changing desires and helping us to grow in our faith. I'm going to try to help make that or that make sense for us this morning, but I think one of the problems we have is, is we like to think that we can grow by just sort of managing our life with the absence of crying out to God and being fully dependent of God to actually do the work that needs to be done from the inside out. And so that has a lot to do with the self-righteousness that we've been talking about in Galatians. We like to manage it. We like to sort of put parameters and boundaries. And I'm not saying that's wrong because we are called to work out our salvation. We are called to put the fleshly desires to death. We are called to say no to sin. We are called to, to do all these things that God has called us to. But I think what we learn from this text and what, what we're learning in Galatians as we make our way through this is that we do those things being absolutely dependent upon God. And understanding that it's God's grace in our lives that helps us to see what we need to do and what we shouldn't be doing. And therefore just crying out to God for help. Constantly. Crying out to God that His Spirit would be at work in us always. Filling us regularly so that in moments like this, we actually have ears to hear Him. Crying out for His Spirit to strengthen our faith when we get weary. Because we get weary. Asking Him to help us comprehend and, and just understand the gospel so that we actually know what it means to live in the good of the gospel. So that doesn't just become a tagline where we say, yeah, I want to live in the good of the gospel, but we don't really know what that means. Well, how we learn to know what that really means is we do study and we give ourselves to studying the gospel. But at the end of the day, we need God to open up our minds, don't we? We need God to open up our hearts that we actually receive this good news, believe this good news, and then live in the good of this good news. Because it does look like something. This good news, it brings hope. It brings joy. But what I'm saying, and I think what Paul's getting at here in this prayer illustrating for us is you can't manufacture that. You can do your best to get to a certain place, but, but you can't actually change your heart. You can't change your kids' hearts. You can't change your spouse's hearts. You can't change another believer's heart. The Spirit of God is what changes hearts. God does it by sending His Son to die for us, to save us, to redeem us, pouring out His Spirit upon us that then dwells in us, that then changes us from the inside out. So if that's really the way it works, that's really kind of what we see in forming this prayer here that Paul's praying, then at the end of the day, what are we? We are dependent upon God to be at work in our lives, I would say, for absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. Absolutely everything. And so one sentence that hopefully does justice that I think we're trying to get at in this passage is since we're weak spiritually and need to grow, we must ask God to strengthen us spiritually and help us grow in our faith. 
Our only hope individually and corporately as a church to grow spiritually and move forward in our faith, it is found in God alone. Again, this does not mean that we don't ever do anything, because we do. But it must always start with just understanding we are dependent upon God for everything. So we're going to look at four points that support this truth. And our first point, and really kind of help us dig into this prayer, is, is we must pray to God our Father. Ephesians 3.14 says, For this reason I bow my knees before the Father, from whom every family in heaven and on earth is named. The reason for Paul's prayer here is found in really all that has led up to this verse, particularly verses 1 through 13, where he has just instructed us that the mystery of the gospel has now been made known through the church by God and his grace. He says, God has made the Gentiles fellow heirs, members of the same body, partakers of the promise in Christ Jesus through the gospel. Through Christ's death and resurrection, what what the gospel has accomplished, what Paul had been highlighting is that the gospel has reconciled us to God and it has also reconciled us to one another. In Ephesians 2 verse 15, he tells us that Christ through his death has created in himself one new man in place of the two, making peace, reconciling us to God and to one another. And so the gospel just absolutely destroyed the hostility between Jew and Gentile. That's what the gospel does. The gospel brings peace, peace that we can have with God and peace that we get to have with one another. It's an amazing work of God's grace. The result of Christ's work on our behalf is that we are no longer strangers and aliens to God. We're not far off from Him. We are now His redeemed children by faith alone in Jesus Christ alone. He is our heavenly Father. We've also been united through faith with all the saints, members of the household from generation to generation. We can be different from one another, but because Christ and his death on the cross, we can be united with one another and celebrate the differences that God has created for his glory. I want to be really careful in how I say that. We celebrate the difference that God has created for his glory. See, our relationships with one another exist today because of Jesus Christ. Sure, there's all these other little things. We all live sort of in the same area. We kind of do sort of the same things. But the reality is these relationships don't exist apart from Jesus Christ. That's the power of the gospel at work. Living in the good of the gospel means we get to relate with one another. In a context like this, because of who Jesus is and what he's done for us. And Paul was amazed at this grace. And God's purpose and his plan for the church to be revealing the gospel to the world through the way in which we live out our lives in the good of the gospel, like we're doing it right now. Think about it. What's the reason we come together with all of our differences, ethnically, politically, let that one sit for a second, culturally and personally? How can we do that? And actually like each other. 
I know it's hard for some folks, especially for certain categories that I just mentioned. It's, it's increasingly harder for some because I've had conversations for you. But how do we still exist today as a church like this with those differences? I would say because of the gospel, right? Because we have a God that so loves us, a heavenly father that so loves us. He sent his son to die for us so that those things that I mentioned, the different eth- ethnicities or political thoughts and ideas or socially or those things, those are secondary things. The primary thing is being united together through faith in the gospel of Jesus Christ. That that is what defines us as a church. And our Heavenly Father has given that to us. Only the gospel of Jesus Christ can bring different people together and really keep them together. It's for this reason Paul bows his knee before the Father. And it's for this reason that we too must bow our knee and pray to God the Father from whom every family in heaven and earth is named. We don't just offer up a prayer to this impersonal God. He's our Heavenly Father. That's meant to mean something. Again, this is where I say these things and I walk away some Sundays and I hope you do as well. And I just think like, Lord, does it, does it mean anything? Sometimes we can get so familiar with this, but we're talking about the God who created all things. And who is he? He's not just the God who created all things. He's our heavenly father. It, that's meant to, to encourage us, to invite us. To invite us to draw near to him. To cry out to him and to pray to him. He's our heavenly father. Sinclair Ferguson, in his commentary, wrote the following. He said, Christians belong to this worldwide, history-long, heaven and earth family. All sharing one and the same God and father. If you're a Christian, you're part of God's redeemed family. He's personable. And he invites us to draw near to him. He's not far off and he's not disinterested in your life. Instead, he invites us to draw near to him. And may we be people who recognize we are absolutely dependent upon him. And may we draw near to our Heavenly Father. In our next point, we learn that we must pray that God our Father would strengthen our hearts. Verse 16, Paul says the following. He bows his knee to the Father and he tells us what he prays for. That according to the riches of His glory, He may grant you to be strengthened with power through His Spirit in your inner being, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith. Paul prays that out of the riches of God's glory, that God would strengthen the Ephesians with power through His Spirit. Just kind of tells you where His hope is, right? I mean, where he just, he just gets it. We get invited into the Apostle Paul's prayer life. And, and these are words that God breathed out for us because we know that they're good and they're, they're from God. And he's, he's teaching us things through this. And, and we see the hope here. We see that, that Paul's hope for the Ephesians to grow in their faith, to be strengthened in their love for God and their love for one another. It's dependent upon God. That these riches of glory that Paul appeals to, 
that out of them, God, God would bless his people. I would just say these riches of glory, they're limitless. They're limitless. They're, they're, not, they're not like your bank account where, where eventually you can withdraw too much and there's, there's going to be none left over. When we're talking about the, the riches of glory, God's glory, they're, they're limitless. There's, there's no way it's ever going to reach zero because they're, they're abundant. God is perfect in all his ways. His power is limitless. His goodness knows no end. His greatness is incomprehensible. We get to know true things about it, but we'll never get our arms and our mind fully around just how good and how great and how perfect and how wise and how loving and how holy our God is. His steadfast love, it endures forever. You see, I share this with you because I just want you to know God has more than enough resources in and of himself to meet all of our needs and specifically accomplish his good purposes in our lives, in every circumstance that we find ourselves in. He's got, he's got more than enough resources to meet you right where you're at and to help you walk through what you're walking through so that you might actually glorify him with your life, walking by the Spirit, and actually enjoy it. Doesn't mean you won't suffer. Doesn't mean that stuff won't happen. I'm just saying what we're learning from here. Paul is just saying according to the riches of your glory. May, may God grant you the strength and the power that you need. He's got more than enough of it. To accomplish his good purposes. It, it all comes from it. But I think sometimes we, we don't necessarily think like that. Instead we limit we limit the greatness of God by either ignoring it or not rightly knowing it. And when we do that, I think, I think what it does is it limits our faith in Him. And then we begin to trust in other things because we, we don't actually believe that God has enough and is powerful enough and can actually accomplish His good purposes like He says He will throughout Scripture. And so then we begin to be self-righteous. We begin to kind of control things because we don't actually believe God can do it, so we're just going to try to do it. But Paul takes us back and he says, no, make God out of the riches of his glory. May he strengthen you. And oh, can he? Philippians 4.19, Apostle Paul wrote the following. He says, and my God will supply every need of yours according to the riches in glory in Christ Jesus. Because of Christ Jesus, these riches of God's glory, they are available to all of us. Everything we need for life and godliness will be supplied to us through faith in Jesus Christ. Again, I, sometimes I feel like I just got to like sort of make sure we're, we're tracking. It's everything we need, not everything we want. And I have to be reminded of that as sometimes the Lord is, is perfect and he's all wise and he always provides what we need. Doesn't guarantee we always get what we want. Doesn't mean we can't ask for it. But at the end of the day, who do we trust? 
the one who's at work in all things, the one who created all things, the one who knows all things, who knows what's best for us, and, and he provides. Don Carson wrote the following. He said, Christ Jesus has won our pardon. He has reconciled us to God. He has canceled our sin. He has secured the gift of the Holy Spirit for us. He has granted eternal life to us and promises us the life of the consummation. He has made us children of the new covenant. His righteousness has been accounted as ours. He has risen from the dead and all of God's sovereignty is mediated through him and directed to our good and to God's glory. This is the son who God sent to redeem us. In God's all-wise plan and all-powerful action, all these blessings have been won by his son's odious death and triumphant resurrection. All the blessings God has for us are tied up with the work of Christ. Isn't that good news? And out of these blessings that Christ has secured for us, Paul is saying, Lord, bless these people. Lord, strengthen your people. Strengthen your church through the power of your spirit in their inner being that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. See, change starts and it takes place from the inside out. And God has so worked in such a way that it comes through faith in Christ and his spirit at work in us that changes us. And so we're absolutely dependent upon God to change us, to accomplish his good purposes in our life. Oh, I got a couple quotes. Let's see which one. Let me share this one from Sinclair Ferguson. He says the following. He says, his presence as the Lord of all is too weighty, too intensely holy, and too grand for any of us to bear. If we are amazed that the manger in the stable could have held the Lord of all creation, it should be even more amazing to us that Christ himself comes to dwell in us. Think about that. Christ who dwells in us, what Paul's, Paul's talking about in that section of Scripture, and what Sinclair Ferguson is just sort of trying to put together is, if, if this manger could hold it, it, it should be even more amazing that, that he actually dwells in us makes his, his home in us through his spirit, changing us from the inside out. And I, I share that with you just, just to help us understand why, why should we be dependent upon the Lord to change us or to change our kids or to change our spouse or to change the person in your community group more so than trying to control them. Why? Because Christ dwells there. So we cry out to God and we ask, Lord, accomplish your good purposes through the work of your spirit in the life of this believer. And so I'd say we fight sin. We do. We fight it on the outside. But may we not neglect it on the inside by crying out to our God, asking him for help. Leads us to our third point. We must pray that God our Father would strengthen our minds. Paul prays for the following. Ephesians 3, verse 18, he says, That you, being rooted and grounded in love, have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth, 
and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, Paul's burden here for the Ephesians is that they, being deeply rooted and grounded in love, would go even deeper in their understanding of it. Think about that. But we, we don't ever get to a place where it's like, okay, I get it. I, I finally, I've, I've come to this place where I, I truly understand God's love. I truly, I truly have come to the place where I, I really get the gospel. and I don't really need to grow anymore. See, what Paul's praying here is know that you would grow and you, you would grow deeper in your love for God and your, your understanding of it. And see, the reason I wanted to, I guess, share part of that is, again, it just, it highlights the need that we have for God to open our minds. I was having a discussion with Ricardo this morning. We were talking about the message and talking about this point in particular in in many ways. I was just saying, Ricardo, why, why do you believe the way you believe about certain things? And I was just trying to make the point, the the reason you believe the way you believe about these things in regards to God's word is because God has allowed you to think those things. And you can correct me at any point here. And I'd say the same about all of us. The reason you believe what you believe about Jesus Christ is because God has given you the faith to believe that. The reason you understand the love of God to the degree that you understand the love of God is because God has opened your mind to understand that. Sure, you've read some books on it. And you can go to the bookstore and I'd say, read up. And I'd say, I know a lot of people who have read a lot of those books and could tell you a lot of great things about the love of God, but they don't actually believe it. They don't. And you probably know those same people. It's like reading a newspaper to them. It it doesn't really affect them in any ways. And I say, why does it affect you? Well, because God's at work. God's allowed for you to think that way and to believe those things and then to have a desire for it. God does that. So I would say in a practical way, when you sit down to study God, the gospel, You're going to go to community group. You're going to read your Bible. One of the things I would just say in a practical way, I'd say, Lord, open up my mind to understand rightly what you're saying and that I might believe it. That's really kind of a simple application of this entire message. And I think what Paul's getting at here is we're just dependent upon God. And what that dependence looks like is, Lord, help me believe what I'm supposed to believe. Help me to know the truth and believe the truth that I might understand your love, that I might go deeper in understanding it, that I might experience it and live in the good of it. You can't manufacture that. You can go so far, but without being redeemed by the blood of Jesus and the Spirit of God at work in you, it only goes so far. And so I'd say this, parents, and this really applies to anybody who has kids or anybody else in your life that you're trying to disciple and you're trying to work with and you're trying to help, you just have to understand you have limitations in your parenting. The limitations are you cannot take what you believe and put it into your kids' hearts and minds. You can't give them your faith that they might believe it in the way in which you believe it. God has to do that. 
God has to open their minds to actually believe the truth that you might be sharing with them. That's why sometimes when you talk to them, it feels like you're, you're talking to a wall. Anybody ever experienced that? You don't have to shake your heads. It's like that if you were talking to me sometimes, too. If we were in a staff meeting and you're trying to correct me, or if we're just sitting down and, and I'm not getting what you're trying to say, there's a reason for it. I probably have a hard heart in some ways. My mind's probably closed off to it. And so what I've learned to say is, okay, I hear you. And this may take time for me to understand it because I need to pray a little bit about it. And God's got to help me get there. Just because you see it and just because you believe it doesn't mean I do. It doesn't mean your kids do. It doesn't mean the people in your community group. But God's got to give us the mind to see it and believe it. And so in those situations, it doesn't mean we don't share. It doesn't mean we don't talk. It means we also pray. Dependent upon the Lord to help us see, believe, and understand the truth. That we might know his love rightly. This gets me to my final point. This is encouraging. We must pray to God our Father in faith, by faith, with faith. And I would say with also great hope. Listen to these words, verses 20 through 21. The Apostle Paul says the following, Now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think, according to the power at work within us, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. One more time. Now to him. Now to our heavenly Father who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think. According to the power at work within us, to Him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. So, so what this does here is it's meant to build faith. Because you can sit and listen to a message like this and you think, okay, how do I pray like that? What do I ask? What should I be asking God for at this moment? Well, Paul kind of includes this here to say, you can ask for whatever it is you want to ask, just so you know your Heavenly Father can do more than you can even think of asking. So you might just say, Lord, would you please bless this conversation that I need to have with this person right now? And it's sort of a general sort of bless, like what, what do you want them to do? What does bless mean? Like, but that's okay. Because He knows. And he can do far more than you can even think of asking. You just know you're going to go into this conversation. It might not go well. You don't know where it's going to go. But he knows exactly where it needs to go. And so you just say, Lord, help. Fill me with your spirit that I might be humble. That I might not be proud. Fill me with your spirit that I might be a leader when I go off to school and not a follower. Kids, pray that prayer. When you go off to school this year, pray that the Lord would make you a godly leader and not an ungodly follower. And then just pay attention to what he does throughout the year. Because he can do far more than you ask or even imagine. Because he's that great. Let us not get in the habit of limiting our Heavenly Father. Let's not think of him as being less great. Let's think of him as being far greater than we could even imagine. 
far more powerful. Let your minds go there and just thinking, how powerful is he? And start thinking about how powerful he is. And then just so you know, he's even more powerful than that. He just is. And he can do far more than we can even ask of him or think of asking for him. So let us be in the habit of crying out to him and just recognizing we are absolutely dependent upon him for everything. And that includes our growth spiritually. That includes your kids' growth spiritually. If you're a teacher, that includes the teachers that are, or the kids that are going to be in your classroom this year that you're going to spend the next nine to ten months with that will annoy you at different times. The Lord has to change their hearts. The Lord has to grow them. He's going to work through us, and He's going to work in various means, but, but He works primarily through the Spirit that dwells in us. And He changes us from the inside out. So let us end our time. What I'd like to do is just spend some time crying out to the Lord. Okay, so we're going to break up into little groups just for a few minutes. And we're just going to pray and ask the Lord to grow us. To give us right thinking about the gospel. To help us go deeper in our understanding of his love for us. And then let's pray and ask the Lord to guide us as he calls us to walk by faith. And then I'll come back up and close us. So go ahead and break up and then I'll come up and close us.